0: Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, December 5th, 2021, we continue our series titled Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, Trust the Promises of God, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's
1: sermon. Abraham, like you and I, are righteous only by faith, and so let me ask you the question, what are you basing your righteousness on? cannot be our nationality the fact that you're American is wonderful I love the fact that I'm an American I love my country doesn't make me a Christian cannot be your lineage you cannot look and go you know what I had an uncle that was a missionary or my grandpa was a pastor so what? what about you can't be your works can't be your religious fervor or your practice or your rituals if you and I are in fact righteous before God we are righteous only by grace through faith in Jesus it's because we believe Jesus not just that he exists but that we believe him the question is do you
0: Over the next three weeks, we're going to be doing a little bit of an Advent series mixed in with our Roman series. This morning, we're going to be looking at trust, um, trusting in the promise of God, especially concerning the birth of his son, Jesus, which is what we celebrate um, during Christmas. Uh, Next week, we're going to turn and look at peace, having peace from God. And then the week after, we'll look at hope and joy that ultimately comes from From God as well. So we'll be doing this over the next three weeks. We call it Advent. If Advent is a new word for you, maybe you're familiar with like Advent calendars. You've probably seen those somewhere at some point. Um, My parents bought my kids some uh, Advent Lego calendars because that's what we needed in our house was more Legos. Um, So thanks mom and dad that my kids love them. They're fantastic. Advent just means arrival. And that's what we do throughout the Christmas season. We expectantly await the arrival of our Lord. And of course, we know that Christ has come. So during the Advent season, um, we look back in anticipation, um, not only that he came, but also that he's coming again. So as we look forward to celebrating the birth of Christ over Christmas, we also get to look forward and celebrate that someday he will ultimately return. So today we're looking at trust, trusting in the promises of God. I don't know about you, but I've developed some trust issues. Um, trusting people can be hard why? because sometimes when you trust the wrong people um, they break that trust and then you're left wondering man who can I really trust in this world anyways I recall a time when I was a sophomore in high school and I'm sharing with a friend like I'm I'm dating this new girl and she's like a nice girl like a good girl like a good Christian girl like good Christian and I'm like I love Jesus but I cuss a little type of Christian at the time right so um, she's good Christian I'm bad Christian and I'm like, I don't know, dude. Like, she's a really good girl. And I don't know if, like, I should be involved with that. I don't want to, like, make her sinful or whatever. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. And he's like, man, I understand. And he said, listen, your, your secret's safe with me. I promise. Now, if someone tells you, I promise, that's a dead giveaway. They are not keeping that promise. And your secret is not safe with them. Okay, because what he did, he went and told this girl, you know, Thomas just isn't sure. He's a bad Christian. I mean, he, you know, you love the Lord, and he says he does, but look at his life. I mean, he's dangerous. We're like, I don't don't think you should be involved in that. And then I went and talked to him, and I'm like, bro, what happened to your secret safe with me? I promise. Like, I entrusted you with this stuff, and then you just went and told this girl that's not cool, and he's like, oh, I didn't know what to do, I panicked, she's kind of cute, I was like, I know, but you're not supposed to do that type of thing, so I went and found her at lunchtime, and I'm like, I like you so much, and I didn't want to use the love word, because like, you're a sophomore, and what is love, right, um, I like you so much, and, and the rest is history, like, 17, 17 years later, we're married, and we have four kids, and like, it's, <laughs> it's totally cool, so ha-ha, <clears throat> challenge accepted, um, she's wonderful, And she's still a great Christian, and I still love Jesus and cuss a little, so I don't know. (laughs) We're all in progress, I suppose. Um, But develop some trust issues from that, you know? Like the people I'm supposed to trust and end up letting me down, and we've all had someone in our life break a promise. Maybe it's I promise I'll stop on the way home for milk and eggs, unless I'm running late, in which case we're not going to have milk and eggs. I promise I'll never cheat on a test again, unless I forget to study or don't want to study. Uh, I promise I'll never break curfew again, unless it's totally worth it. In which case, like, we'll deal with those consequences if it's worth it. Uh, but we say all sorts of promises. There are some bigger promises we break. Um, sickness or in health. richer, or poor till death do us part as long as we both shall live. That's a promise that we see get broken, even within the church. And what we do with these promise-breaking habits, we say, man, if some of the people I've trusted most in my life have let me down, then certainly God's gonna do the same. Right? If my closest friends, my closest family, my spouse, if I've been let down by people that I love the most and said loved me the most, then God will probably do the same thing. Numbers chapter 23 verse 9 says that God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He doesn't lie. Everything he says is a promise. Notice how God doesn't have to say, I promise. I promise. But, but God, do you pinky swear? Oh, I pinky swear. Do you cross your heart, hope to die, stick a needle in your eye? Do you promise like that, God? He doesn't have to. God doesn't have to say, I promise. Why? Because everything he says is a promise. See, in our world, we're used to people having to say, I promise because we left people down. My kids will say, "Could we go to Chick-fil-A tomorrow? And I'll say, maybe. In my house, maybe means we'll see, and we'll see means No. Okay. So, but do you promise? Oh, here they go. See they get it. They understand. Do you promise? God everything God says to us is a promise. He doesn't have to add any caveats, "I promise or do any special thing." He is honest. He's truthful. He's trustworthy. And that's what we're going to see in our text this morning. It's important because God makes some important promises to Abraham. Abraham trusts those promises, and then we see the promises open to us as well. So as I said, Romans chapter 4, we're in verses 13 through 25. Let me read it. We'll pray once more, asking for the Lord's help to apply it to our life, and then we'll dive in. Romans 4, beginning in verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are able to be heirs, faith is null, And the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there's no transgression. That's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. Not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the ones who share the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. As it's written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope. We're talking about Abraham here. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray. God, well, it's my voice that's been heard. We recognize this morning. It's your word that's been spoken, and we trust your word is the authority for our life. Holy Spirit, today we ask you to open our eyes that we would see you more clearly, our ears to hear you, um, our minds to know you, our hearts to love you, and our mouths that we would speak of just how glorious and wonderful Jesus is. God, if there's any way that we're off in our life this morning, we ask that you'd convict us, that you'd help us change, that we confess that, that we repent, and we'd walk in the way that you've called us to walk. God, everything we do in, in this place, everything we say in this place this morning is for your glory and your glory alone. We ask all this in the name of the Son of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may have noticed as we read through that passage, like a big theme arrived pretty much right away, right? With repetition, when you see repetition in a text, we've talked about this. When you see repetition, that's probably the main idea. The main idea is right there. We saw the word promise five times, five times in that, that short section of scripture. We see the words faith, trust, believe, Twelve times, So the theme arises pretty quickly. We should trust, have faith, believe in the promises of God. Not just the promises, but the promiser. We should trust in God. We should trust in God. The first thing he points out is a promise that God made to Abraham. That's the first point in your outline, God's promise to Abraham. Verse 13 said, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Take your Bible and go all the way to the beginning of the Bible, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. We see this thing called the Abrahamic covenant um, that's kind of unveiled throughout the Old Testament uh, and is really the guiding factor of how God deals with and leads his people, the Israelites. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verses one through three. This is the promise that God makes to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, um, God changed his name to Abraham. So, I don't know if you know that, but that's a pretty cool thing. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So it's a big promise. Let's boil it down to three main categories. One is land. uh, One another one's family, and the third is blessing. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a kingdom. I'm gonna give you a family, a huge family. If you look at it like the book of Hebrews, the promise is more offspring than the sand of the seashore, a massive family. So we have land, we have a family, and then third, blessing. One, I'm gonna bless you, but then all of the nations of the world will actually be blessed because of you. See, it's through the line of Abraham we actually see the birth of Jesus. And through Christ, this is a, this is a promise God makes thousands of years before Christ is even born. Really, really cool. He's actually the fulfillment of that third piece of that promise. Through you, through your family, there'll be a birth that will bless all people. That is the person of Jesus. This is the promise. He gives them land, family, and blessing. If you look at uh, um, the very next verse, verse four, he just goes. He says, okay, he just has faith. He trusts. He just does what God has called him to do. Notice how it says this promise didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. We saw before the law can only bring wrath. That's what the law does. The law brings wrath. It brings nothing else with it. Verse 14, for if it's the adherence of the law, those who are doing the things the law says, by the way, um, righteousness for him couldn't have come through the law because the law, as we know it, didn't even exist. Right, 10 commandments and like the Old Testament law wasn't given until 400 years later. So we didn't have law to follow. We only had faith. I'm just gonna trust in the things God has called me to do. If it's the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there's no law, there's no transgression. If we trust in works, our faith is null and therefore the promise is void. Well, how does that all work out? If we trust it in our works, we never get anywhere. Right, like if, if it's contingent upon us doing and saying the right thing for our entire life, trusting in the law, which only brings wrath, faith wouldn't be necessary. But God says, for the promise to come true for Abraham, it's contingent on faith. It's trusting that God would do the things that God said that he would do. Verse 16, he goes on and says, that's why it depends on faith. That's why it depends on faith, because the law only brings wrath. We can't trust law, we can't trust self, we only trust Christ. It's contingent upon faith. In order, get this, that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Let me ask you a question. How many of you want your salvation to be guaranteed? Everyone should want this, right? The only guarantee we have for our salvation is if it's faith and rests on grace, solely on what Christ has done on our behalf. This is what he says, it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only the adherents of the law—that's the Jews, okay—the the, the Israelites. Not only to them, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. It's it's guaranteed to those who trust in God. Now, if you want your faith guaranteed, it has to be up to something else. There's all sorts of guarantees that we have in this, like a cash back guarantee. Yeah right. Twenty-five thousand dollar or twenty-five thousand mile guarantee. Look at the fine print though. Read the fine print. There's a catch. There's a catch. If we want our salvation guaranteed to us, it says it depends on faith and rests on grace. If it's up to him, God says, "I got this." If it's up to us, we don't got this. There is no guarantee. There is no guarantee. We would mess it up. We would lose the salvation if we could. But if it's up to Christ, if it's up to God, our salvation is guaranteed. Verse 17, as it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. I love this little kind of gut check nugget he includes right in here. In case we've forgotten who God is, okay, in case we've forgotten who the person making these promises is, Uh, He's the one who gives life to the dead In case we forgot who God is He's the one who um, gives life to dead people So that's, I mean that's pretty amazing Uh, And he's the one who calls into existence Things that do not exist How many of you are creative types? Like you're good at taking something And turning it into something else Um, How many of you are the type who have nothing And then just make something No one's that type No one is, only God He's the one who takes nothing and turns it into something. This is what he did at creation, the word ex nihilo. He made something out of nothing. So in case we've forgotten who the God is who's making these promises to us, he's the one who raised Jesus from the dead. He's the one who created everything out of nothing. And if there's a person I want to trust, that's the one. The creator of everything, the sustainer of everything, the one who's able to take a dead man and raise them back to life. So what's the promise? God says he's gonna make Abraham's family great. they will have land, they will have many nations. The world will be blessed through his family. The next thing we see is Abraham's trust in that promise. Abraham's trust in God's promise. Verse 18 says, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. If you look at Genesis 15, God leads Abraham outside of his tent and says, look at the stars. Look at the stars. Count the stars, which sounds like an impossible task, right? You can't. You can't just, just try. Count all the stars. And then God tells him, as many as you could count, like your best shot at how many you think are up there, um, so shall your offspring be. Your family's going to be massive." Your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky, like the sands on the seashore. But he says, in hope he believed against hope, which is a weird phrase, which essentially means against all odds. When it seems like all hope had been lost, when the situation seemed impossible, in hope he believed against all of the odds. The odds of what? Verse 19, it says, he didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body. Which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. By the way, that's an offensive thing to say about someone else. Okay, if you look at them and say, hey, you look like you're about as good as dead, <laughs> it's not kind. It's not kind. But this is what he considers about himself. He says, I'm, I'm 100 years old. And when we're talking about like having kids, he doesn't have any kids up until this point. He has no descendants, but God has promised him descendants like the stars and descendants like the sand. So when he considers his own body at 100 years old, he's like, man, that's like it's good as dead. This is not going to, there's no way. That's impossible. He considers another thing, or he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. They've tried to have kids, they haven't been able to. They've done everything they could. They've, they've done, gone all through the right steps to, to have children. Um, And they can't. So this is what he's considering, a biological impossibility for he and his wife to have a child. But there's another thing he considers in verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So he considered one impossibility, a biological impossibility, the impossibility of them having a child. There's a second uh, impossibility he considered. He considered a theological impossibility of God breaking a promise. So we have two impossibilities, a situation and a sovereign God. An impossible thing, but then an impossible theological idea that God could actually break a promise, which can't happen. So compared to those two, um, man, being 190 plus and trying to have a kid while your wife is barren, which is impossible, or God saying, this is what's gonna happen, which one does he believe? It says he didn't waver. He grew strong and He trusted God. There's probably something there for us this morning in that of whatever impossible situation we might be facing... I don't know if it's a work thing for you. Maybe it's a family thing for you. Maybe it's a school thing for you. Facing some type of impossible situation where you're looking at it and you're like, there's just no way. I know God makes all things work together for for our good and for his glory, but not in this situation. This situation's impossible. Not for God. Not for God. There is no impossible situation for him. You can still trust him. You can still have faith that he'll make good of it Somehow. Notice the descriptors of Abraham's faith here. It says he didn't weaken in his faith. He didn't waver. He grew strong in the faith. He gave glory to God. He was fully convinced that God would fulfill his promises. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the story of Abraham. Um, Deeply faithful man. Faithful patriarch. Deeply faithful. Also, deeply flawed. You go back to Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise and says, man, you're gonna have land, you're gonna have family, you're gonna have blessing. You go further into Genesis chapter 12 and and they go to this place God sends them. They encounter some men and Abraham's freaking out. He's terrified. He says, babe, you're beautiful. You're beautiful and these guys are gonna see your beauty and they're gonna want you. They'll kill me and they'll take you. So let's do this. Let's tell them all, you're my sister Hey man, you got a pretty sister. I sure do. But I'm I'm a coward, but at least I'm safe, right? Doesn't, Doesn't seem very very faithful. It just seems deeply flawed. He's afraid. It's fear. Fast forward into Genesis 17, where God says, Man, you're gonna have a child. God makes this promise. Fast forward 13 years. Sarah's like, it's still not working. We still haven't had a child but this is the promise God has made us. He's promised us that he would give us land, he'd give us family, that we'd be a blessing to everyone. That can't happen if I'm dead and that can't happen if we don't have a kid. So Sarah says, I have an idea. I have this maidservant, my servant girl, Hagar. She's young. Why don't you take her as a wife and get her pregnant so we can have a child? And Abraham, faithful man that he is, he says, okay, and that's what they do. Okay, so how do we have a, a deeply faithful patriarch of the faith who is so deeply flawed? I don't know what your uh, experience has been following Jesus, but this is kind of what it feels like sometimes. I have so much faith, so much trust in God. I still fall short, still sin, still flawed, still fail, still fear some things. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six say this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Let me give you the Thomas translation. Thomas translation says, trust God, not you. Trust God, not you. In those situations, they might be faithful, deeply faithful people following the Lord, but still flawed and occasionally trust himself. God can't make good on his promises if we don't help him out. If I'm dead, we can't have land, we can't have family, we can't have blessing. If we don't have a child, this promised child that God's given us, we won't have land, we won't have family, we won't have blessing. So I'm gonna lean on my understanding and say this is the way forward when God just calls us to trust. Trust in him, that's what he asks them to do. Trust, here's what I'm gonna do, just trust in it. The presence of faith in our life does not negate our tendency and ability to fail. We're all flawed people. We're all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. There's this thing called sanctification. That's what we see in this story of Abraham. It said he grew strong in the faith. He wasn't born this like completely faithful person who never did anything wrong. He grew in his faith. How many of you Um, would say, man, I am, whatever this means, um, I follow Jesus and I'm more faithful to the Lord now than I was 10 years ago, than I was 15 years ago, than I was 20 years ago. That's sanctification. There's a man by the name of Jim Ricketts who had been at Highlands for a long, long time. You'd probably seen him on the prayer team, um, see him out at the front door. Incredibly faithful man of God. If you had met him 10, 15 years ago, you would have said, man, that's a faithful man of God. But fast forward to like a month ago when he passed away to go be with the Lord, more faithful than he had ever been in his whole life. He grew strong in his faith. He grew strong in trusting the Lord. Didn't mean he what didn't have his flaws, didn't have his failures. We all do. We all do. That's just the life of following the Lord. We still fall short. Verse 22 says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. That is why, well, verse 21, he says, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Because he was fully fully convinced that God was able to do what what he had promised, that is why it was counted to him as righteousness. How many of you heard that saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket? You've heard this before? This was a thing people actually did. They put their eggs in baskets to carry their eggs home. We just go to the store now and don't put all your eggs in one carton if you want to change it, I suppose. Um, But the idea was, if you put all your eggs in one basket and you drop that basket, you lose all your eggs. So you can't put all your trust, you can't be fully convinced that one basket is going to do it. You kind of have to divvy them up. And this is what we do a little bit with our relationship with the Lord. God's called us to have faith. God's called us to trust in him and him alone. God's asked us to be fully convinced. What does fully convinced look like though? Is that putting eight of my eggs in God's basket and saying, God, I believe that you can accomplish my salvation 80%. That's still pretty good. 80% is still pretty good. That's pretty good faith. But 20%, like two out of the 10 eggs, this this is, I'm gonna do the right thing. I'm gonna say the right thing. I make sure I check my boxes and I go to church and I make sure I serve and I make sure I give. And all of those are good things. Like, I I believe in church attendance. I believe in serving. I believe in giving. But to accomplish your salvation, like, that's just bogus. That's not gonna work. That's just not gonna work. Maybe you flip flop and maybe you're like, 20% God's got this, but 80% I better do my part. I better do my part. What does fully convinced look like? Does fully convinced look like nine of my eggs? We're gonna put nine eggs in God's basket. The guy, I believe 90% that God can do it, but, but 10%, I'm still gonna make sure, like walk the walk, talk the talk, do all the right things. And again, walk the walk, talk the talk, follow Jesus, yes. Yes, of course, do the things that God has called, but for the purpose of like, earning your salvation, no. No, it's faith, grace. That's why it's guaranteed. If there's any eggs in our basket, you are not fully convinced. Fully convinced looks like everything. I'm all in. I'm all in. God, if salvation's gonna be guaranteed to me, it's only because of what you have done through Christ, your son. That's it. That's the only guarantee of salvation. If any amount of it is up to me, there's no guarantee. We're dropping the basket every time. We'd lose our salvation every single time if we could. But because it rests on faith, because it rests on grace, then and only then we can be guaranteed salvation and righteousness through Christ and Christ alone. God made Abraham a promise. Abraham trusted that promise that God would do it. Um, But that promise we see is also available to us as well. The third thing we see is our trust in God's promise. Our trust in God's promise. Verse 23 But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. For ours also. For our justification, for our righteousness. How did faith, how was faith credited to Abraham? How was righteousness? It was faith. I trust God. I place all my eggs in that basket. Yes, still fail. Yeah, still fall short. Yeah, still occasionally afraid. Yeah, still occasionally trust me instead of trusting God. But all of, all of it, I'm fully convinced that Christ is able to accomplish salvation on my behalf. I'm fully convinced that Christ and Christ alone can make me righteous. Nothing I can say, nothing I can do. Only what Christ has said and what Christ has done we can have righteousness, it's also through faith. Verse 25 says, the the death of Jesus Christ our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's how we're made righteous, faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And we've been saying this over and over and over again. It's through faith by grace in Christ alone. How are we made righteous? Faith by grace in Christ alone. Faith and grace in Christ alone. Why? Because that's the only guarantee there is. If it's up to us, there is no guarantee. If it's up to Christ, if it's up to God, the only one who is capable of never breaking a promise, that's how we can have guarantee. God has a 100% track record of trust. He keeps his promises every single time. He doesn't have to say, I promise. He just speaks it and does it. He's faithful, he's trustworthy. Concerning this promise, specifically the promise made to Abraham about a coming descendant, um, years and years later, 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah, a promise that God wrote through him, Isaiah 9, 6-7 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's a promise concerning who the Christ would be. And to us, looking back on it, it's a promise of who Christ is. This is who Christ is. He is our wonderful counselor. Such a great counselor that he never leaves you, never forsakes you. Such a great counselor, he says, yeah, be strong, courageous. I'll be with you wherever you go. Such a wonderful counselor, Christ, before he rose back to heaven, he said, behold, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. I'm with you. You don't gotta call him to set up an appointment. You don't gotta wait to talk with him. He is your wonderful counselor. He's with you right now, right here, Every step of the way. In the valley, when you can't see him, guess who's in the valley? Your wonderful counselor. On the mountaintops, when things are great, things couldn't be better, guess who's with you? Your wonderful counselor. Consult him, be with him, talk with him. That's the promise God has made. He will be your wonderful counselor. It says he's our mighty God. I don't know what bad situation you're facing in your life right now. Our mighty God is stronger than your situation. He sees it. The things that scare you, they don't scare him. Right? The things that catch us off guard and we're thinking, like, oh, I'm not sure what's going on. Guess what? That's a part of God's plan. He's not just reacting, he's actually using situations to steer us and draw us towards him. It says he's our everlasting Father. He's our everlasting God. That means he's the same yesterday, same today, same tomorrow, never changes. Your job might change. Your family situation might change. The place you live might change. Your friend circles might change. Your college might change. Your team might change. Your relationship status might change. All sorts of stuff in this life will change. Guess who never changes? God. If we're going to trust in someone, who are we going to trust in? It's the everlasting God. It's a promise God made concerning who Christ would be. It's a promise concerning who Christ is. He's our Prince of Peace. Jesus is our prince of peace. He doesn't just bring peace. He doesn't just have peace. He is peace. He is peace. I'm not sure what you've been um, using in your life to cope with whatever trouble you've been working through. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's a relationship. That's not peace. That's just pushing pause on life and checking out for a minute. Jesus meets us right there and brings us peace. He is peace. He's the prince of peace. He can bring us comfort whatever situation we might face. I love the last verse in, in that uh, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He will do this. He will be this. He is your wonderful counselor. He is your mighty God. He is your everlasting father. He is your prince of peace. He will accomplish the promises he's made to us in our life. And the question is when, right? When? You work all situations for the good of those that have been called, who love you and have been called according to your purpose. When's the good? Right, I get it. If That's the promise. Can we just like hurry this up and like get through the bad stuff quicker? When? When's the timing? How long, oh Lord? Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, but when the fullness of time had come, it's in God's timing. It's in God's timing. God made a promise in Genesis 15 to Abraham, you're gonna have a son you're gonna have a son. 25 years later, he actually had the son. God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and said, I'm gonna bless the entire earth through you through a coming descendant. 1,800 years later, Jesus was born. In what timing? How long, O Lord? What's the time? It's, It's in God's timing. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive adoption as sons, join the family of God. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This is what we celebrate at Christmas that all who call upon the name of the Lord can be saved, that we can join the family of God, not through anything that we say, anything we do, but through something that God did. He sent His Son. He sent his son to live a perfect life that you and I can't live, even if we try to, which most of the time we don't, if we're honest. But Jesus actually came and lived the perfect life, which enabled him to be the perfect sacrifice. He died the death that you and I deserve to die for our sin. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, defeating death, that in Christ, you and I can truly live. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The Christmas message of God coming to earth is just the beginning of it. But the gospel message, that's what we're gonna celebrate over the next month. We're gonna celebrate who God is, who Christ is and what he's done on our behalf and how we can follow him because of who he is. Man, we talked earlier, we have a wonderful opportunity coming up with Christmas services. We're uh, pretty big on sharing the gospel around here. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but we really believe in it. We really, really, not just that it has power. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power It is power. It changes people's lives. In a few short weeks over the Christmas season, um, by the grace of God, we'll have thousands of people coming upon our church campus to just celebrate Christmas. For some, it might be the trains. They want their kids to ride the trains. And that's cool. We'll give you trains. We're gonna give you the gospel too. Maybe it's family pictures or a scavenger hunt. Yeah, we'll give you family pictures and a scavenger hunt, but we're going to give you what you actually need. We're going to give you Jesus. Let me encourage you, over the next few weeks, be inviting some people in here who need this truth, who need this gospel. You probably know someone who's not fully convinced in who Christ is and what Christ has done. You probably know some people who are putting all their eggs in their own basket, make sure I do the right thing, say the right thing, so someday I'll stand before God and he'll say, you did enough. Barely, but you did enough. Come on in. It's not about that. It's not about that. We want to pack this place out, not because we don't want to be able to say like, hey, look what we can do. We want to be able to say, look what God did. We wanna look back on this Christmas and see lives transformed by the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there's anything we can trust in, that's what it is. We trust in the Lord, amen? Let's pray. God, thanks for being so trustworthy. God, if we've been hurt by people uh, in the past, if people have broken promises, broken trust, God, may we not uh, press that upon you and expect the same from you. God, you're the only one who has a perfect track record of trust. And because of that, we trust in you. God, we placed all our eggs in your basket. We believe that you are the one who can accomplish our salvation and nothing else. God, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for a reminder every year of what you have done, that you sent your son to live and die for us. that by placing our faith, our trust, and hope in him, it can be counted to us as righteousness just as it was to Abraham. God, we respond now in worship, giving you glory, honor, and praise for everything you've done and for who you are. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. That's who he is promise keeper. That's who he is. Friends, if you're here this morning and you haven't fully placed your faith, your trust, your hope in Christ and Christ alone, what he's done for us, that we might have his righteousness, that we'd be justified, that we'd be made right in the sight of God, that we could have a real relationship, fellowship with the creator of all the earth, who who raises people from the dead. We can do that. We just place our faith, our trust, our hope in him. I'm going to invite the prayer team down front Um, One of these people would love to pray with you this morning. If you'd love to place your faith in Christ, just come forward after the service. We'd love to meet you, pray with you, pray for you, help you take your next steps in following Christ. Friends, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind, amen? Would we place our trust in him this week in every single step of the day, every thought, everything we do, may we trust in Christ and Christ alone. We love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.